Our scripture reading today comes to us in the book of John, John's Gospel, chapter 17. It is a prayer of our Lord Jesus that is recorded here. John chapter 17, I'll be beginning in verse 13. If you happen to have one of our church Bibles, it is found on page 869. Now I am coming to you, Father. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. May God bless the reading of God's word, and would you pray with me? Father in heaven, open our minds, open our hearts to receive your word for us today. May the Holy Spirit speak to us. May we come to know you more, because Jesus is the one who reveals you to us through the Holy Spirit. And in as much as my words, Lord, will be used of you, may it be so. And if not, Lord, then let my words fall to the ground. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Today and next week, uh, I want us to consider this phrase. Be in the world, not of the world. 
Be in the world, not of the world. Brothers and sisters, I invite us to ponder this phrase. Let this phrase enter into our prayers in the next couple of weeks. Be on the forefront of our minds. Let it become uh, like a puzzle we are always working on in our lives the next couple of weeks. At least as a focus, it's a lifelong effort by the Spirit. As we talk with our friends, connect with our family, what does it mean for us to be in the world, not of the world? As we watch the news, as we engage with social media, as we work, play, as we shop, as we kick back and relax, as we eat, drink, parent, study in our day-to-day moments, let us consider this phrase, be in the world, not of the world. Now, this exact phrase is not found in the Bible. The line, be in the world, but not of the world, doesn't appear in the pages of Scripture. Yet, the phrase is deeply biblical when properly understood. The heartbeat of this phrase is found in passages like Romans 12.2, which tells us, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that we can test and know the will of God, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The idea to be in the world, not of the world, is found in passages like 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, which says this, Do not love the world. Do not love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then, of course, there are passages like the one we read together today. Like in verse 14 of this passage, they, are, they do not belong to this world just as I do not belong to this world. Now, before we get too much further here, I need to speak to this word, world. What is meant here? First John chapter 2 tells us, do not love the world. Yet John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Same Greek word, cosmos. Well, which is it? The answer, of course, is that the Greek word cosmos has a range, we get our word cosmos from it, has a range of meanings. Sometimes the word refers to the good physical creation that God made. Rivers, trees, birds of the air, beasts of the field, the sun, the moon, the stars, human beings. This material world is good, and the Bible consistently uh, teaches this. The world, the creation, is good. But the word cosmos in the New Testament can also refer to patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, values, and virtues that are opposed to the ways of Jesus, to his teachings, to the... um, the new creation that Jesus is a part of. 
So to say, be in the world, not of the world, properly understood, is not about us getting out of creation and into some spiritual realm. No, this creation is God's and it is good. To be in the world, not of it, is the acknowledgement that we find ourselves as strangers in the land sometimes. We are like sojourners. And we, not, we, we ought not be transformed into people whose values and behaviors are opposed to our Lord Jesus. So, a little bit on the word world. As I've meditated on this, on this prayer of our Lord this week, um, God's Spirit has caused two things to land on my heart. And, and this is a very rich passage. Um, there's one scholar, way, I can't remember who it was, way back when, who said of the book of John, um, children can wade in the water and elephants can swim in its depths. I love that description of the gospel of John. But here are the two things. Um, the first one is how being in the world is missional. When I was first taught the phrase in high school, be in the world, not of the world, that first part, be in the world, I was kind of taught that it was kind of akin to, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans kind of thing. In other words, there would be areas in my life where it was permissible to be just like those who didn't follow Jesus. I'm in the world just like they are. That was kind of what I thought. So for example, they watch movies, I can watch movies, just maybe not some of the movies. They go to parties, I can go to parties, just maybe not some of the parties. They can eat, drink, and be merry. I can eat, drink, and be merry, just maybe not some of the drinks. Now, let me be clear. These things are important for Jesus' follower to consider. We need to filter through the Holy Spirit everything that we entertain ourselves with. Absolutely. The idea of personal piety is an important one in the Christian life. But this prayer of Jesus here, what it means to be in the world, this is what the Holy Spirit put on my heart. It's much more missional than that. Being in the world is not a passive byproduct of being born on this planet. Being in the world is a result of being sent by Jesus. In verse 17, Jesus prays, just as you sent me into the world, Father, I'm sending them into the world. So to be in the world means we've been sent. Abraham was a stranger in a strange land. Uh, book of Genesis. He was a sojourner, a foreigner. He was, a, he was in a new world, if you will. But it was no accident. God came to Abraham and said, go to the land I will show you. So he went. Being in the world means being salt. It means being light. It means that we recognize the patterns of the world and allow the Holy Spirit to dismantle them. Being in the world means that we recognize Jesus as Redeemer. Behold, he says, I'm making all things new. The work of Jesus, the work of Jesus' followers is to take part in the transformative work of the gospel 
sent into the world. Jesus applied these words of the prophet Isaiah to himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was sent by the Father, and we are sent by the Son to go into the world as ambassadors of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, as we live our day-to-day lives, shopping, social media, watching the news, let us be in the world as ones who are sent by Jesus. That's the first thing that landed on my heart. Uh, Here's the second. The second thing that jumped off the page for me was this focus on unity. It's hard to miss. Maybe Maybe it was impressed upon you as well by God's Spirit. Jesus prays that his followers would be united in their mission. And the contours of this unity, the shape of it, just are striking to me because Jesus does not pray, Father, help them get along. Jesus prays that they would be one like the Father and the Son are one. That's a bold prayer. Father and Son, this is, this is kinship. This is family. We should ponder this. Now, here's the crazy thing to me. When Jesus calls the disciples together, like, let's just focus on the 12. When Jesus calls the 12 together, under the patterns of the world on paper, this group should never get along. Uh, I've mentioned the, the show The Chosen before, and there's a scene, I can't remember which episode it is, but it's where Jesus calls Matthew. It's a powerful scene. Spoiler alert. Matthew's in his tax collector booth, and uh, as you may know, tax collectors were not popular people uh, among kind of the, the working class, if you will, of the days in the days of Jesus. Like, say, uh, James and Andrew and Peter, right? These fishermen. Um, Tax collectors got rich standing in for Rome, the kind of oppressive uh, uh, government to the people of Judea, Galilee, and they despised tax collectors, hated them. You're working for the enemy. You're taking my hard-earned money to make our oppressors rich. And there's a scene in The Chosen and Jesus is walking through um, the marketplace. He's got James and John and he's got Peter and Andrew. They're walking through and Jesus stops. And he looks at the tax collector's booth right at Matthew and Matthew's like a deer in headlights. And Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. And it's at that moment Peter recognizes what's happening. He's got a problem with this. 
he saddles up right next to Jesus and he goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Calling him? This is not going to be good. What was it like when Peter and Matthew sat at the campfire and talked, uh, oh, I don't know, politics? Jesus doesn't want better. Simon the Zealot, not Simon Peter, but another Simon, the Zealot. Whew. If this reference to Simon, a zealot, is, is in some way connecting this Simon to the zealots of the second temple period, who we learn about from Josephus and, and other writings, this is a volatile choice that Jesus makes. Because the zealots were a political movement during the days of the second temple who sought to incite violence, revolution, among the people of Judea to rebel against the Roman Empire, expel it from the Holy Land by force of arms. The Talmud refers to the zealots as the Biryonim, ruffians, the boorish people, wild. Uh, use of violence. And Jesus calls one of them into his group with Matthew? And these fishermen? I, I, I don't know how you do it. When Jesus stood uh, up and gave that Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said to his followers, Love your enemies. Well, the 12 just had to look across the campfire, and there was the enemy. They traveled together, they ate together, they fought and they prayed together, and yet they were bound together as kin because of Jesus. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, we had some elections this week. It's been quite a run. Uh, if I may be so bold, it seems to me the patterns of this world are to demonize the other side. To see a sign in the yard, a uh, pattern of the world, see a sign in the yard to judge, to disparage. It's difficult. Uh, one balm I received this week came from uh, our brother, Rob Ryden, he sent me a chapel talk that his, his big brother gave at Hope College. And here's your homework assignment. Go watch it. Go to YouTube, David Ryden, Hope College Chapel, uh, October 30th, I believe, Friday. It was so good. I, I almost thought for the sermon today, let's just show that. But then I thought, I can give you some homework. This is great. And Rob, your brother uh, brings up Justices Scalia and Ginsburg, highlights their friendship. He, he mentions Cornell West and Robbie George and their unlikely friendship and kinship. One black, one white. West, a revolutionary Christian by his own, uh, his own words, a radical 
Democrat, chair of the Democratic Socialists of America. George, on the other hand, conservative Roman Catholic, a revered voice of Christian conservatism. And they're friends. More than that, they're brothers. Christian brothers. In fact, that's how they refer to each other. George refers to West as Brother Cornell, and West refers to George as Brother Robbie. Should I start calling you Brother Robbie? I urge you to go and watch David's chapel talk because in times like this, as Jesus followers, we have to be intentional about what we let into our minds and what we let into our eyes. The world wants to separate us that we would view each other as adversaries. We have one adversary. The evil one, the liar, the one who Jesus prays God would, the Father would protect us from. And our neighbors are not him. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. If we can see it, it's not our enemy. It's the powers and the principalities that Jesus' death begins to dismantle. Brothers and sisters, we love not so that we can receive love in return. This is not the Christian way. To love so that you get love in return is the way of the world. If you do well for me, then I will do well for you. If you agree with me, then we can be sisters and we can be brothers. But this is not the way of Christ. In one sense, it's true. In one sense, we love each person on this planet because they bear the imago Dei, the image of God, the mark of their creator. Each person, each human being, uncountable worth. Each person is valued by God, and that is why Christ went to the cross. And this is one reason why we are to show real, tangible love to others. Yes. But there's another reason. Dare I say, more important, we love because he first loved us. Jesus, that is. We love because Jesus showed us what real love is. We love people because every day in our lives, we have access to the one who laid his life down for us. How can this be? This one command I leave you, Jesus said, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you. As Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector and this handful of fishermen learned from him. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the model. Jesus is the source. We live in the world. We are not of the world because we belong to Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I pray what Jesus prayed, that you would protect us from the evil one, 
I pray that, Lord. I pray you would protect us from the powers and the principalities and the patterns of this world that oppose the true King Jesus, who is the hope of this world, who is the hope of this country, the hope of every household. And I pray you send us into the world that we could share the gospel and the good news of a kind and gentle Savior who loves us and wants to bring us into relationship with God. And I pray you would make us one. Father, as you and the Son are one, I don't know how you do that, but would you do it? Would you make us one? All of this so that we might see the glory of our Lord Jesus. And so my prayer is just like that of our Lord's today. And Father, would you also remind everyone who hears this that they are deeply loved. And I, I only dare to say this next part because it's what Jesus said that you love us like you love the Son. So Holy Spirit, give us the ability to believe that. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.